0: The demand for energy is accelerating like never before. New sources are emerging and established ones are evolving. Collectively, all sources will provide the fuel needed to support future global demand. Here on the Energy Scale-Ups podcast, we explore and learn about the people and companies solving today's problems to produce tomorrow's energy needs. Here is your host, Jose Solis.
1: This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Halliburton Labs. Halliburton Labs works with early stage companies to help accelerate their growth by providing access to operational expertise, mentorship, as well as financing opportunities as companies prepare to scale. Enter to win their weekly giveaway at halliburtonlabs.com forward slash giveaway. Hey there, listeners. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Jose Solis, and today's guest is Bravis Brown. Mr. Brown is the Chief Executive Officer at BPS Technology, which is a privately held holding company that aims to identify, develop, and acquire technologies to create chemical solutions that deliver superior products across many industry sectors. Before joining BPS, Bravis held both financial and operational roles at Falcon Technologies and Services, Inc., and served in the U.S. Marine Corps, Semper Fi. Bravis holds a BBA from Northeastern State University and an MBA from the University of Oklahoma. So, without further delay, here's my interview with Bravis Brown.
2: Bravis, welcome to the podcast. So happy to have you here. How's everything going with you today on this wonderful Thursday afternoon?
1: Better than I deserve.
3: It's an opportunity that I'm grateful for. I'm glad to be able to be on here with you. Awesome. Awesome. Just
2: for a sense of geography, let the audience know where you're at today.
3: So, today I am in. Argyle, America. <laughs> Argyle, Texas.
2: Nice. Nice. And that's where you guys are located, are headquartered, right?
3: That is correct. We recently moved here in November of last year, and we're happy to call Argyle our home.
2: Nice. So before we started the podcast, I did a short bio and let the audience know who you are. And one of the things that's in that bio is your military background, which is something I'd really like to, to touch on with you today. First of all, why the Marine Corps? Out of all the branches of service, why the Marine Corps?
3: Well, I think my, you know, my interest has always been into the challenge. I'm either all in or all out. And if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do what I believe or perceive at the time to be you know, the, the, the most challenging. And my father was in the Army. I worked with him. He owned his own businesses. we entrepreneurial family. And I learned a lot from his servant leadership and work ethics. And it was just an opportunity to one up him, you know. Going
2: <laughs> so it was just to one up your old man, huh?
3: Well, credit to him, he said, "Well, the Marine Corps isn't what the Army used to be when I was in." So he stood up for the, the abilities that he had and the training he got when he was.
2: So what was your what was your military occupational specialty MOS in the Marine Corps?
3: So I was uh, aviation operations. It was seventy forty one, and essentially what that is would be a Administrative assistant for pilots and aviation. When you're you know, back in the states, you'll do a lot of preparation and training for deployments. Consists of what they call CACs or combined arms exercises. you will go out and work with you know, friendly units and practice maneuvers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then when we deployed, of course, I'll work with a lot of information systems, command and control computers, and communications to the pilots and other friendly support units during you know combat timeframe. But for the most part, I would say administrative assistants that can fire a weapon pretty well.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And I mean, I'm not sure if I remember correctly, but isn't it to where the Marine Corps places you in, in these jobs based off of entrance exam scores? Or is this something that you got to choose as your career for the military?
3: Well, if I remember correctly, you get an opportunity to select two or three MOSs and then based on your, your score and then how you do in your MOS school, find, make a final determination of where you get to go. One of the reasons that I chose that MOS was I'd gone into the Marine Corps with about 90, 95 hours in my undergraduate degree, and I was promised by the recruiter that I'd be able to finish if I was in an administrative unit and do some online work. We all know how that turns <laughs> out.
2: Right. That was one of the reasons. No, that's awesome. So, you know, looking back at that experience that you had in the Marine Corps you know, how do you draw upon that now? How has it really helped you now that you're, you know, leading an organization that's growing? What sort of experiences do you draw off of to, you know, help you do your day-to-day or, you know, just sort of think about, like, how you want to approach a problem?
3: Well, I kind of started off with kind of the work ethic piece that, was, that I got from my father and the expectations that he had. Getting in the Marine Corps is the same thing, but at a much more disciplined level. But the amount of discipline that they want to integrate into you and their processes requires you to be, you know, I would say quick to respond to change. And for me, that's been very important in business, the ability to, you know, be flexible, create a plan with, you know, some expectations, but understanding when you need to modify it. that's very much like the improvise, adapt, overcome that you learn in the military and other things that obviously were really key when you think about how that transitioned into what I do today would be not only is you required to work with different systems and different units we need to deploy, but you looked at individuals as assets, partners, you know, today I talk a lot about the E&I. And, and, you know, quite honestly, in, in the Marine Corps, when I was in, it wasn't even a consideration because I was a minority in the unit. And we all saw each other as you know, the left side, right side, front, back kind of thing is a 360 approach to everything that we did and everybody had a responsibility. You had to trust them to execute that responsibility because they trusted you to execute yours. And you bring that into the business where you talk about collaboration, bring in, bring, bring in individuals that can best support your business plans and your models regardless of who they are. we are looking for their ability, the fact that they should align with your, your values, your, your morals and integrate them into the business and allow them to execute what they execute best. For me, the other thing in the Marine Corps was kind of learning to be the jack of all trades, especially in deployments, being able to do multiple tasks. And when I got into the business initially, I saw that as kind of a negative thing. A lot of people were very specialized. They were, you know, been in a career for seven to 10 years in one specific function. And I actually was able to get into the oil and gas in a service company where I started out as a Operational accounting or cost accounting. That progressed, and I had more experiences inside of the accounting and finance side. It's what my undergraduate was in, but then we got over into the operational side, which is where the true passion was—the efficiencies and, and processes. But a lot of those, you know, like I said earlier, ability to, to modify the approach, to be flexible, was directly from the training and development that I received. I'm sure you can share that. I know we've talked in the past about your love for processes and efficiencies.
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, it's just one of those things, you know, in the military, there's a procedure for just about everything, right? There's some, you know, everything's got a nomenclature or a number or serial number, or, you know, there's, there's just a process for everything. And sometimes for me, when I'm trying to accomplish a task, I find it much easier when there's a process already created. But I also understand the ability to adapt and overcome and maybe have to create that process improvise right improvise whenever something doesn't go right because we always train for when things go wrong that you know you're ready to be quick on your feet and say okay that's not going to work let's make a decision let's do this let's change gears you know sometimes you have to do a quick triage and then go right and so that is something that i think is the other side of it that i learned to be adaptable and be flexible and, and not always get too caught up in the details if there is not a process already available. And that's usually something that happens when you're out in the field, you're in the middle of you know an engagement or whatever it might be when lives hang in the balance. And that's why it's really important to be able to look back in those experiences and say, how do I apply that to what I'm doing now in business? Because business, and I'm sure you'll agree, I mean, it's very similar to a deployment or it's very similar to a, you know, a military operation. There are processes for things to happen. There are things that do need to happen, but there are times when just curveballs are going to come out of nowhere. Things are going to go wrong. Something's going to happen. You know, you just never know. But if you've already sort of battle planned in your head, like, okay, what do we do in the event, like contingency planning? What do we do in the event X happens? Here's our contingency plan. Then you can do that. But if even if you haven't gotten to that point yet and something happens, you know you just got to be able to, to to run with it and say okay how are we going to change gears and make up speed or make up ground and not get left behind. So I think it's something that's really valuable as far as experience goes when you apply to business. I had the fortunate opportunity to meet a lot of other veterans in who were pursuing entrepreneurship. It's an entrepreneurship boot camp for veterans and it's put on by multiple universities throughout the United States. You know, you just see how veterans are, you know, really good prime candidates for entrepreneurship, right? Because they're so used to being able to like take charge whenever they need to and and go and lead from the front, you know, and lead from the rear if they have to, you know what I mean? So there are cases and and that happens as well. So coming back to you and coming back to the company, so tell us a little bit about how you connected with BPS and how, you know, you you came to be part of the organization.
3: Certainly. So I stated a little bit earlier, I moved into oil and gas in 2007. It was actually an uh, field service company that I joined. It was, you know, I used the same mindset that you have when you're in the military, which is instead of have gun will travel, have resume will travel. So when I got <laughs> out, I finished finished my degree, started firing it off, got picked up in the oil and gas. You know, I was I was told there's an opportunity for you to be either in Midland or you to be in Decatur, Texas. I said, ah, Texas is Texas. The guy said, why don't you do me a favor, take a trip, go check out both and then <laughs> let me know where you want to be. So I ended up in the Barnett Shell, <laughs> Yeah. Working there, living in and around Decatur area for some time. And the actual entrepreneur that started that business, one of the partners, ended up selling that in 2009. He stayed on for a stint and I stayed on. And when I left in 2014, he had another opportunity that he wanted me to join him on. So he's actually one of the same partners that started the last company. We took that company and sold it to a publicly traded company. And we started this venture in 2014 looking for essentially disruptive technology. We spent about two years doing that and then finally came across technology that we wanted to acquire. And that's of our core technology. We'll talk about that more later, but we built the business around that. talking uh, talked about processes in the military once we understood what we had. The planning of how we're going to create the business, right, the strategy, develop it over time, and what is and how do we define the values that it can bring. So, in 2017 to present, there's been a lot of that that's taking place, and I'm sure we'll get into that. But that's, that's how I originally came about to be a VPS. And in 2018 or so, it was just kind of a natural tr- transition to CEO. It wasn't a big event. just Enough of the infrastructure had come to place, and we'd worked together enough on the planning that they felt comfortable with me transitioning to that role. And again, it's where the jack of all trades really came into play because we're able to do it on a really small scale, with low infrastructure, a low amount of employees at the time, and then add them as we progress the business.
2: Yeah, so that's really interesting, right? Because from the way you described it, you guys started down this road without really having a product in place just yet. You guys were going to find a product, which is a lot different than what you typically hear about entrepreneurs doing, right? They've got a product, they've got a service, or maybe both. And they're like, how do we get this to market? How do we you know, make sure we have the minimum viable product or whatever it might be? And they're trying to go in and build up that business based off of that product or service where you guys already knew you wanted to work together. You knew you wanted to start a company together, but what you wanted to do was find find a product located a product that was disruptive in the energy space and so that search took you you said about two years you know Mm -hmm, kind of walk me through a little bit walk the audience through a little bit about that product because that's so different than what you normally hear right like two years i mean that's a long time in my head right i mean it's not that long in general really isn't 24 months but two years without a product i mean where do you even start how do you even begin like what What was, what was that like? Because that, that is very much to me like seems like uncharted territory.
3: Well, you know, you've got because of your point, you've got to start off with the first thing and realize what you're blessed with. We're blessed with financial backing internally. A lot of people don't get to have the freedom to, you know, take two months to find a process or technology. Our initial hunt was kind of seeing what was going on in oil and gas. And we we had, last company, we spent a lot of time up in the Northeast, Pennsylvania, New York, Ohio. And as a result, we started to understand kind of the risk associated to water use, water rights. And we wanted to create a mechanical process around the, the, basically, treatment, cleaning, and and reutilizing flowback, And we were looking to do that with a mechanical process only. And during that time frame... There were a couple of different opportunities where we tried a couple of technologies. We set up out in Goldsmith, West Texas area, and on one of the saltwater disposals that one of our partners has, and tried multiple mechanical processes. You know, uh, front side, back side, separation equipment, and then different technology in between the two, just to see what we could do and how we could impact the uh, water quality. And during that process, like I said. In 2016, when we were going through one of those final vetting processes, there was a technology that was introduced to us that caused a separation and some some functions that we hadn't seen before. And at that point, we decided to move forward. But it was always with a focus on a disruptive technology. We just didn't know if it was going to end up exactly where we wanted in the water treatment and reutilization efforts that we were trying to focus on. But we were constantly engaging with, other entrepreneurs that had ideas, maybe didn't have funds, or had the ideas but didn't understand how to commercialize, etc. So, as we started to engage more and more of those opportunities, we started to get a little more finite and exactly what we were looking for and how it potentially it could come together. Hopefully that so, w-
2: when you finally, yeah, when you finally found that that product, sort of walk me through the process of like, okay, you know, we engaged this company that had the product. Are they part of the business now, or did you buy the technology, or how did that work?
3: Yeah, so we actually purchased the technology, and it's essentially what we would say the platform or the heart of everything that we produce today, and we created a company called Shopwell Hydrogenics, and that's the manufacturing facility based in Midland, Texas, that produces the technology that we utilize for all the different chemistries that we, we work with and the finished products that we take to market. So the individual that we purchased technology from is also an owner inside of that platform company okay. and is engaged with us in, in that.
2: Okay, so you guys were able to retain some talent as well as some technology while you were in the process of, of building out this business that you have now. So moving into BPS, so like you said, you, it was just a few of you that started it. From that, where have you grown into today?
3: Well, today we have the platform company that we do the manufacturing at, which is Shuttle Hydrogenics. We have BPS Agriculture, which also has three different companies under it that are different segments of the ag industry. And we have BPS Oil and Gas, which is focused obviously in oil and gas right now. Primarily, the applications are in the upstream. We're working on you know moving from an upstream to downstream and being able to maintain you know, that, all three of those segments, midstream as well. And outside of those companies, we've also grown BPS Technologies, which is the support function, the corporate support function for all of the companies. And total, we've got about 40 employees right now. And we've obviously got plans for, for more growth, but it is growing consistently with the opportunity. So it's staged.
2: Right, exactly. So from a few employees to 40 over the past few years what were probably some of the things you can think of as you were growing, you know, obviously human resources becomes a big part of that because, you know, you're bringing in candidates, you're training people, you know, you might have some attrition, things of that nature, you know, what were some of the things, lessons learned during that process of scaling your business from, you know, a few employees to 40?
3: Yeah. So kind of what we started off with kind of bringing in the mindset of the military, how, can we give multiple billets to individuals and what billets are best aligned? Can somebody do, you know, maybe ARAP AP with some HR function? And then over time, do they want to be developed more on the HR side or do they want to be developed more in the finance and accounting side? So there was a lot of that, that took place. Like I said before, multiple billets you know, I might be working at one time on legal documents and utilizing third party legal support, or I might be working with a marketing group externally. And over time, we bring those opportunities in the house.
2: When you're bringing people into the organization, I think one of the attractions from an employee standpoint, looking at a company like BPS, having the the luxury or the opportunity to wear different hats and participate in different parts of the business and learn the business from different perspectives, I think it makes so much more of a, of a better experience as from an employee standpoint, especially if you're in the part of your career where you're not hundred percent sure exactly what you want to focus or specialize in and being able to join a company of your size and being exposed to a lot of those different things and getting the opportunity to maybe transition into more of a focus role over a period of time as the company scales. I think that's really attractive from the employee's point of view. You know, speaking of employees, what are you guys doing right now? Because I know that a lot of people are you know, transitioning from work from home back to the office. What's been what's been the process for you guys? I mean, did you guys go to work from home or how did that work? Or are you allowing your company, are you allowing your employees to stay remote? Or what do you guys see moving forward as the way forward for you guys?
3: Well, before that, I'll start referencing you know, the pandemic in March 2020. We had already started to integrate Microsoft Teams, the IT manager here, director of IT had already kind of put that out there as a tool that we needed to utilize because we had individuals, especially in oil and gas and on the ag side, that weren't necessarily located in you know, South Lake, now Argyle, Texas. So we had individuals that were obviously in West Texas, individuals in Florida, as well as North Carolina, or Kentucky. So we were utilizing teams and whenever that took place, Initially, you know, those critical key employees we kept at the office primarily, but everybody was starting to work from teams. Some people really showed that they can do a really good job, focus and executing, keeping schedules and everything managed when working from home. And we've allowed that same flexibility now. So I would say the majority, roughly 30 of the employees out of the 40 are back to regularly coming into the office, while the other 10 are still in positions with a little more remote where they like the freedom of being able to be at home and manage other parts of their schedule but still deliver deliver you know excellent finished products to us on a regular basis. we really hadn't forced that we just we did some surveys of the employees let them tell us kind of what they were looking for and we felt we could continue to maintain this
2: that's awesome and I think that sort of really speaks to you know your leadership style right allowing people to really you know tell you guys what they want but also you know, working with them to create a balance that's good for the business, but also good for the employees, right? I think that's super important, especially as we come into a season where we're hearing about a lot of people saying, well, you know, if they're asking me to come back to the office, I'm just going to leave the company or whatever it might be. And I mean, you know, to be honest, that's really a short-sighted way of looking at things. I think there has to be some dialogue or at least try to have some dialogue around like, what's the realm of possibility? Can we work through this before we decide to go separate ways, right? And as your company has scaled, right, obviously there starts to get, especially as your company gets bigger and bigger, there becomes sort of a push to make sure that you are looking at a diverse group of potential candidates for roles. How has that been something that's played into your business? And what are you guys looking at now that you grow, like the next chapter, like how is that going to be something that's a part of your scaling process when you're looking at potential candidates like hey you know we want to maybe hit these goals or is there anything out there like that that you guys are working on to create more of an environment of diversity and inclusion
3: that's a great question you know when you think of diversity you typically think that think of that in a a set way of thinking but it's also a diversity of lifestyles household responsibilities and, and, and supporting some of that we we started to and you know we started off as Like I said, the initial founders and the shareholders were four individuals, four males, so all male, with 30 years of experience in oil and gas, white, non-Hispanic. And we've progressed over time and we've had more diversity in the team. We look for, well, I should say we're able to support more diversity and inclusion because of our willingness to work from home, work online, support these other lifestyles and locations. So it gives us a broader group to reach out to when, when filling roles, but more importantly, I'm not saying you're saying this. But it's not a box check. What it is is it's another point of view brought into a scenario. In most cases, obviously, we're not talking military where we're trying to get somebody's opinion on how to how to approach a particular area, but you're bringing in another opinion, another point of view from a different perspective that is going to give you at the end of the day a better finished product. Yeah, and if if you and I were deployed and we would have had a choice, and some units actually did, you would have loved to have had somebody from the local area, a native, that could have told you a lot about what was going on, what the issues were from a cultural perspective that maybe we were causing issues with. And that would have been really good information to have. But unfortunately, a lot of people go in thinking that they, who they're used to or who they're familiar with is probably their best relationship or bond to bring into the business. And that's just not always the case. So I don't know that... We've got all the answers. I know that we're continuing to look at ways to improve that and grow and expand opportunities for others outside of just here in Argyle, Texas.
2: Yeah, no, that I mean, that's really, I think, all that anybody could ask a company to do is to try and make that part of the process, right? I mean, like you said, it shouldn't be a, a box checking exercise. It should be something that you take time and effort into crafting what, what it is that you want your company to look like over a long period of time. And I think there's even been, if I remember correctly, there's been studies shown that you know having a diverse group of employees typically will create a better outcome for a business because you'll get different perspectives if If what you're doing is you know quote unquote mirror image recruiting where everybody looks exactly the same and, and thinks exactly the same, then you're really not getting any different perspectives when it comes to how you solve problems in your business, which could end up hurting you in the long run, right? So, you know, I think it's really important that companies like BPS, you know, you guys are looking at this as you're scaling because, you know, you're 40 today, but you could be 4,000 in a year, two years, five years from now, and that's going to play a bigger role the bigger you get, right? And so that's really, I appreciate you taking some time to answer that question because I know that that can be a little bit, it's a tricky, it's tricky waters to navigate, right? You want to make sure you're doing the right things, but you're not exactly... 100% 100% sure how to go about it all the time. Have you guys reached out or do you guys use consulting services for different parts of your business like that or is that something that the leadership team comes together with, you know, maybe some specific HR functions to try and figure out?
3: So, initially, you know, placing it more on the radar was something that the manager, HR manager actually did. And I went to a, a separate training and development around the e uh, and and she also attended one. We got together. We talked about what we thought was something we should look at or most critical to bring into the business. And one of the things they did was kind of lay out several different questions and then just kind of identify in each one of those categories where, where your executive team is different than you. And then you can look at that and see what level of diversity you have or don't have. It kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. And that helps you understand some of the areas you need to address. But once she brought that back to us and we started discussing some of the ways in which we address that, we then talked about ways we could give more exposure, i.e. myself going to the training and then coming back and trying to apply that over time. And we put some some goals together to address between now and the end of the year.
2: Yeah, that's perfect. So let's change gears for a minute. Let's talk a little bit about your products, specifically in the in the oil and gas sector. Tell us a little about your flagship products for oil and gas and who you're helping and what they're achieving when they utilize the products you guys have available.
3: Well, you know, we've thrown the word out there, technology, and essentially it's a proprietary aqueous host gas solution that we can utilize to enhance other active chemistries. And we started off in the oil and gas, and we started off looking at production fluids in the upstream side as well as completion fluids and frac, frac- completion fluids. And obviously we we're excited and interested because of the volumes in the fractal completion side. And we started there and that was, it was scaling quickly and then 2020 happened. So we, we tried to further diversify. We'd actually started a lot of the HAG in 2019, but we started accelerating that. And in all of the applications that we do, essentially we're just enhancing existing chemistries that are out there. We're focusing on you know sustainability. We're focusing on the ability to reduce the amount of active chemistry that are being utilized in the oil and gas downhole, as well as in in the agriculture industry. And from time to time, we allow ourselves to be interrupted by other opportunities because the technology can be spread so broadly, meaning so far we've done over a thousand integration, chemical integration tests with our technology, and we've had a positive impact on all of those. So we have a chemical integration process that helps us kind of vet through what are the best applications with the technology? Then we see where that active chemistry is most broadly used. And then we start putting together what's called a business development plan. And that incorporates our product development plan and process. Quite honestly, the oil and gas was where the majority of the focus was. And everything kind of t- took place in 2020. So we started doing a little bit of a reset. And this year, we launched a product, which is an h scavenger product in April of this year, officially launched. We had produced a little earlier but still working on some of the economics and the value prop that it creates. And then we launched that in April of this year. And essentially what this is, is a MEA tri that we've enhanced with the technology that we have. And therefore we can get a greater efficiency out of that that trizine. So we're typically in a bubble tower application, we're seeing anywhere from 30 to 40% increase in efficiencies or use. And then we're working now with different applications, and, and we, have, we see some things that are a little promising, and we're further developing out that information. And then, as far as the oil and gas is concerned, we're working on both, right now, scaling inhibitors and corrosion inhibitors, and we're seeing some promising results initially on the corrosion inhibitor as well. And they're both a little early in the stages. We're moving those forward this time.
2: Are there any other verticals within the energy industry that you think that you guys may have some interaction with outside of oil and gas in the future?
3: You know, we have some that we feel we could be involved in. There's not a lot I can go into there, but it it pertains to more battery and storage and support of other energy applications outside of oil and gas.
2: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I think diversification obviously is really great to have not just in your investment portfolio but in your in your lines of business you know as a company because just as you mentioned, you know, when one of those lines of business, maybe that industry or, or whatnot, has you know some some hiccups or some bumps in the road, you've got other ones that are feeding the business revenue and you're not necessarily pigeonholed with your eggs in one basket with one of them. Learning that lesson now, looking forward how could you maybe put that into words for somebody who is also, you know, an early stage, maybe growing company CEO, say, you know, these are things that you need to look at because, you know, it could help you, you know, later on down the road. I mean, what would you say to somebody who might be, you know, looking at scaling their business and, you know, how would you, how would you sort of coach them and say, hey, you know, you might want to look at all these different other industries that you might be able to help with your product or service? How would you how would you go about coaching them
3: on doing that? Well, yeah, to your point, we started off strong in oil and rolling gas. We did find a technology that was very versatile as far as industry application, but we just didn't develop them quickly enough and at the same time. And we'll probably look at this as a, a way to understand the best resources you have are your internal resources and developing them and then help them understand that they need to focus on you know finding solutions to major problems in other industries outside of the one you are currently in. And usually if you can find a solution to, you know, a major problem, not to say that H2S is the largest in oil and gas, it's obviously not, but it's one that is, has a very negative impact and, and can actually be the result of loss of life. So we looked at the things that we can affect that are problems in industries and find a way to create a solution. And I would just recommend that, you know, it's probably not, a industry, in my opinion, is not a single industry application that creates success. It's the, the mindset to understand that you're looking for for problems and solutions regardless of the industry. So a lot of times we focus on what we're familiar with and we start. Oh, for example, like I stated, well, upstream, midstream, downstream, multiple products, multiple applications. But even more broadly, what are other major issues in other industries, and do you have a technology or or a way to support that?
2: Looking back at how You know, things have progressed so far. So this maybe question is in a couple of, this is maybe question in a couple parts. So the first part would be, you know, as you were growing, where did you look at putting the first couple of key hires, like in what positions? And then the second part of that question is, did you and your partners use any advisors or consultants? And if so, what were some pros and cons to
3: doing that? Okay. So we started off with, Chemical engineer, petroleum engineer, more of an operational and accounting background uh, between those of us that initially started the business. And for me, as we began to grow the business, being able to account for the use of funds, source and use. So to me, one of the key roles was bringing a controller in. So, you know, after getting that in place, then I started looking at quality and consistency of product. So we brought somebody in to, to oversee that of course, the manufacturing of, of the technology was key. So we brought in an individual that had 30 years of experience doing that. And a lot of what we've done when we bring somebody in, initially, we're bringing in somebody that can mentor and help develop others so that we can essentially, as you talked about earlier, bring people in and give them some options as they grow in their career. So we'll bring in what we would see as maybe the key role for that particular department and then grow roles underneath. And we were able to do that, but those key players that you initially bring in also have connections to get advisors, consultants. And so we did utilize some consultants along the way. We brought in some individuals that you know have 40 years in in scaling a business to a multi-billion dollar business just to have them look at our strategy with the application plans that we have for the technology, and then maybe some ways in which we could address sourcing and utilizing of funds later on in the, in the later phases of the company's growth. And you're going to get a level of, again, you're going to get a different perspective, a level of insight, understand some blind spots. You might not always like what they have to say, <laughs> but if you're willing to listen to them, I think they can be rather valuable. I've quite often had to bring in consultants. And in fact, a couple of employees that are here today came in as consultants. Okay. And one of the individuals is. Essentially, he's the president of BPS Technology. and came in as more of like a strategy advisor and helped build you know, a lot of what we do from the board structure. And then over time, we saw all the value they brought outside of just what we brought him in for initially in consulting and we brought him on. And then he's helped us develop these other roles. Uh, so understanding the key roles has a lot to do with understanding your business development plan. And if that's laid out really well. I think you'll do an outstanding job, and we're, we're a pretty good example of that because we didn't lay it out real well in oil and gas, and then we came together when we had more individuals on the team and we laid it out really well in ag. So we've had a very smooth kind of progression in, in ag, and then we've been responsive in oil and gas, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think we're in a much better place now with oil and gas than we were initially, but the planning was much more intense and developed. Going forward in ag and, and some of the other industries that we're working on now, same thing. We learned our lesson, we put the process in place, and we're following.
2: What are some key roles that you guys are looking at? Maybe the next few key roles that you're looking to add to the company's roster?
3: Sure. So I believe we can do some of those in house from a promotional perspective.
2: Yeah, promote from within. Yeah.
3: Yeah, absolutely. We've got, you know, I can't say a whole lot of them already know what I'm thinking, but we've got a couple of really strong players in the organization that we're it was a significant blind spot for me. And I think over time would be a great opportunity to promote from within. You know, I think there's also legal and understanding more around, you know, all the MTAs and joint development agreements and uh, patents. I mean, we've done so much last year. We had a little over 13 patents that we've completed this year. We've got 17 in total. We've got between 17 and 20 MTAs. So imagine all the legal interaction that we're having of course, the normal that comes with a business is going to be, you know, merger and acquisition, putting out basically different, you want to call it non-competes and other non-dispairs, all the different legal agreements that they go on with a lovely <laughs> entrepreneur business. But nonetheless, I think the, the legal side, the, the, the marketing side would definitely be one that we're looking to expand develop further. And I think there's a few other steps that we need to take before we commit to any other on the C-suite side, but I definitely need to bring in some more consulting in these other industries. So I guess to answer that a little more directly, there's a couple of industries that we're playing with that we're going to have to go get some experts in, in those industries and have them come in and be the presidents of those segments, similar to what we did in ag and oil and gas.
2: Excellent, excellent. So where can people go to learn more about your company, you? How can they connect with you guys? What is the best way for people to get in touch, would you say?
3: Well, LinkedIn is where I do a lot of my effort. Now, marketing is much bigger than just LinkedIn, <laughs> but I don't participate in all of them as well as the rest of the company does. But I stay pretty active inside of LinkedIn. So BPS Technologies is in LinkedIn, as well as all of our ad companies, BPS Agriculture, as well as Toronto 365, FarmShield, BPS Oil and Gas, and Shotwell Hydrogenics. They all have their own LinkedIn page. I'll send that to you.
2: Yeah. And I'll make sure to put a link in the show notes for everybody who's listening that wants to connect. I really appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule. I know that you're about to enjoy some nice holiday with your family. So be safe, be well, and we'll catch up with you again. here in the near future and and just check up on the progression because it sounds like you guys are on a steady climb for continuing to build your business and I want to make sure that, you know, we we can capture more of these stories as you guys grow and learn more about, you know, what you guys are doing and you as an individual and and the company and maybe even learning more about other people within the business as we go along.
3: That would be great. I look forward to the opportunity. I appreciate your time. And I'm sure there's, I know there's more that we can share, so I look forward to the future opportunity. Excellent. Thank you, Bravis. Have a great one. you.
1: You
0: too. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for July 2021. This month we have 5 events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur 2 months ahead of time, so if you're always interested in staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. This month, OGGN will be hosting our monthly happy hour at The Cannon in Houston, Texas on July 29th. Our June happy hour was a hit, so if you weren't there for the June one, we hope to see you there this month at our July happy hour. At this event, you'll be able to meet some of OGGN's hosts and network with other oil and gas industry professionals, all while enjoying great food and drinks. Don't forget that it's on July 29th. Other than OGGN's events, we have two in-person and two online events. First up, we have our two in-person events. The first one being the Doug Permian and Eagle Ford Conference at the Fort Worth Convention Center from July 12th to July 14th. And the next in-person event is the SPE International Data Science Convention at the Norris Convention Center in Houston, Texas on July 8th. Next, we have our two online events, the first being a Cognite webinar titled From Buzzwords to Boardrooms, What Energy Leaders Really Think About the Transition Towards True Sustainability. And that's on July 8th from 1130 to 1230. And lastly, we have the U.S. Africa Energy Forum, which is online on July 12th. If you have any questions about these events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for July. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Join us again next week for another episode of the Energy Scale-Ups podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGDN.com.